1: the vision in my life there was a crowd of people that I hung around with before I knew Christ wonderful people in their own right and I loved them dearly and we powed around together we did all kinds of things together but when I came to Christ they fell by the wayside they no longer came because I am now walking differently my life has changed completely I'm a new person in Christ everything in my life has changed and they don't see that so they're still over there so you see even the gospel message in my life has brought the vision
0: In your faith journey, did you leave your old ways behind when you met Jesus? Did you run from the influences holding you back, or did you keep one foot in and one out? Today, Pastor Dave explains that you need to fully commit to who you are through Christ. You are a new creation, and you need to live like it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 5 as he begins his message, Diplomat or Ambassador?
1: Today we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 21 through 32. So if you'll turn in your Bibles there, Acts 5, 21 through 32. All right, Acts 5, verses 21 through 32. We did 21 last week, but I wanted to pick it up because it's important to our study today. I'm going to read aloud, if you would read along silently, those of you that have the word. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them up, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching to the people. The captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, so they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. When it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you call yourself a diplomat or an ambassador? When it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you... Look at yourself and say, I'm a diplomat or I am an ambassador. Well, in all fairness, I guess before you can answer that question, I should give you some definitions here so that you might have a better basis on which to make your answer. According to our friend Webster, a diplomat is a government official whose work is dealing with other nations. It continues, a diplomat is a person who has tact in dealing with others. A diplomat uses diplomacy. The act of diplomacy is a skill. And it's a skill in dealing with others so that as to get their help and keep them friendly. So, a diplomat is a government official who speaks to foreign countries in a tactful way, making deals and keeping them friendly. One definition said a diplomat was a negotiator. A negotiator means to talk over a problem and in hopes of reaching an agreement. To negotiate means to talk this way and getting both sides to agree. You know, give a little, take a little. Negotiations usually end up with one thing, compromise. A diplomat is one who doesn't want to make waves, one who doesn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. A diplomat wants both sides to give a little bit, both sides to take a little bit. A diplomat wants to please both sides. A diplomat speaks to his audience, and he speaks to please his audience. So are you a diplomat? On the other hand, The definition of an ambassador is a highest official in rank sent by a country as a representative or a messenger. An ambassador, interesting enough, comes from the Greek word ambactus. It actually means servant. I found that to be quite interesting. The Greek word is very interesting also. It's presbyuo, which has its root in the word presbyteros, which means elder. An ambassador is an authorized or an official messenger. And representative of the country that sends it. He has been given authority to represent and speak on behalf of the sending country. The Greek word for sent, does anybody know the Greek word for one who is sent? The Greek word apostolos. Sound familiar? It's where they get the word apostle from. Apostle is the Greek word used for. The apostle, apostolos, literally means an ambassador of the gospel. One who is sent, a messenger. Pretty clever. There's so much in this idea of ambassadors. I love it. Unlike the diplomat, the ambassador does not speak to please his audience. He speaks to please the king or the country who sent him. An ambassador does not speak on his own authority. He doesn't have his own opinions, and he demands nothing of his own. He simply says what he's been commissioned to say. An ambassador is more than a messenger. He is also a representative, and in so he brings honor, and he honors the reputation of the country that sent him. So are you a diplomat? Or are you an ambassador when it comes to sharing the gospel of Christ? Well, Christ has not called us to be diplomats when it comes to his gospel. We are not called to be man-pleasers. We're not called to speak to others for their approval. That's not what we do. We are not to compromise on the truth. There's only one truth, and it's right here. It's called the Word of God. We're not to compromise when it comes to God's truth. We're ambassadors. Instead, that's what he's called us to be, ambassadors. And as ambassadors, we don't speak on our own behalf. We don't demand our will, but we demand His will be done. For Christ has given us the authority to go and make disciples. He's given us a message to go and share, to go and tell, the good news of the gospel message. Interesting enough, when the Apostle Paul was writing his second letter to the church at Corinth, he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20 this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the ambassador begs the world on behalf of Christ that the world would be reconciled to God. Christ has empowered us with this message and the gospel that through it, men might be saved and have salvation. One of my most favorite scriptures comes from Paul in the book of Romans. In Romans 1, verse 16, when he's talking about the gospel and salvation, he clearly states when he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ For it is the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes, for the Jew first and then for the Greek. The ambassador is not ashamed of the message that he carries. An ambassador boldly speaks the message he's been given to call. Now, the first ambassadors of Jesus Christ were, in fact, Jewish. They were Jewish believers, converts that converted to Christianity. Now, Christ knew the price that they were going to have to pay for this conversion, He knew that they would be ostracized. He knew that they would be cast out of the synagogues. He knew that they would even be thrown out of their families. Look what he says when he's talking to his disciples about this in Luke 12, 51. He says, do you suppose that I've come to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Huh? What happened to peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Christ comes to bring division? The gospel of Christ divides men. Those that are saved, those that are lost, those that believe." Those that don't believe. Those that have hope of life everlasting. Those that have no hope. The gospel divides men. It divides houses. And he says families are divided by the gospel. He continues in verse 52 and 53. He says, but from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two. Two against three. Father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The division that the gospel creates is vast, especially in the Jewish home. Remember, those that received Christ in the new church were converts, they were Jewish converts, and they were ostracized by the rest of their family. Even today, many families of Jewish faith have funerals for sons and daughters that accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They actually have funerals, and these people are considered dead. The gospel divides. It brings division. When I look at my own life, the gospel has brought division in my life. There was a crowd of people that I hung around with before I knew Christ. Wonderful people in their own right, and I loved them dearly, and we powed around together. We did all kinds of things together. But when I came to Christ, they fell by the wayside. They no longer came because I am now walking differently. My life has changed completely. I'm a new person in Christ. Everything in my life has changed, and they don't see that, so they're still over there. So you see, even the gospel message in my life has brought division. And I don't have these friends that I once hung around with. Remember last week we said that freedom that we have in Christ comes with a price. There's a price that we have to pay. Had the apostles been diplomats instead of ambassadors, they would have made peace with the council by not speaking in the name of Jesus. They would have kept the peace, not rattling anyone's cage, so to speak. They would be man-pleasers. They could have escaped the persecution that was coming, the persecution that was placed upon them by the religious council if they would only obey man instead of God, if they they could have gone free and lived a life completely free of persecution if they chose to. They didn't choose to. Why? Because that's not what the Lord called them to do. That is not what the Lord has called us to do. In last week's text, we read how the angel of the Lord came while they were in jail, while they were locked up in prison, and how the angel of the Lord opened up the prison doors miraculously and they had their freedom. But we said that freedom came with a price. The angel the Lord told them, go back into the temple. In fact, in Acts 5, verse 20, this is exactly what he said. Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. He didn't tell them, run for the hills because your life is in danger. Go hide under, under some place, under your bed, because they're looking for you. He says, no, 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 what I want you to do is go back into the temple. Yeah, the place where they hate you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Go back into the temple and tell them about this life. What life? The new life we have in Christ. The newness we are in Christ. Go tell them. Go stand before them and speak boldly. You know, we spoke about this when we talked about this on Resurrection Day. The theme of the empty tomb, the theme of the empty tomb is go and tell. Go and tell that Christ is not there anymore. He's risen, praise God. He's risen from the dead, just as he said. And in him we have newness and life. We have a new life, life eternal, praise God. So the theme of the empty tomb is go and tell. And here you have the angel saying the same thing to the apostles. Go and tell. Go stand in the midst of them. Yeah, they're the ones who want to stone you, but go. They'll hate you, but go. As we look at today's text, I want to hang around with this ambassador theme a little bit, and I've chosen some things that exemplify an ambassador, or in other words, what does an ambassador look like? Some characteristics, some traits, if you will. And I want to zero in on those today as we look at some of the text in front of us. The first two characteristics I see is being ever ready, like the battery, or and obedient to the call. These new ambassadors of Christ were ready and obedient to God's calling. See, to be an ambassador of Christ is always alert for chances to represent Christ. And you never back away from a challenge when that chance to represent Christ is in front of you. You don't back down. You're not afraid. Look at verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. These guys didn't wait around. They were freed one night. The very next morning, they're back in the temple teaching the Word of God. They're back at the temple preaching Jesus Christ, exactly what they were told not to do. They didn't wait. They didn't hesitate. They didn't get up and go, you know, we probably should go to the temple, but, you know, I'm really, I need to read the sports page. I need to, I look at this. I need, you know, they didn't take their time. They got up and they went. They were called. They were obedient to the call. They were ready and they went. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Look what Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, The second letter he writes him, and he encourages Timothy with these words. It's found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Paul, writing to his son Timothy, said, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I love that. Let me tell you a little story. There once was the Church of England clergyman who was gloriously saved. One day this clergyman was gloriously saved. And when Jesus changed his life, he started preaching the gospel to his whole parish. And guess what? they got saved too. But he wasn't content with that because he started going to other parishes all around the area, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and everybody else was getting saved too. But the clergy from the other parishes were annoyed at him. They were annoyed at him for coming over and teaching the gospel. And they went to the bishop, and they said, you know, can you make this man stop? He's harassing our sheep. He's harassing our our congregation. So the bishop confronts them and says, I hear you are always preaching, and you don't seem to be doing anything else. The changed man answered and said, well, bishop, I only preach during two seasons of the year. The bishop said, oh, I'm glad to know that. What are they? He said, in season and out of season. I'm glad you left. That was a joke. We're called to preach the gospel in season and out. We're not called to take time off. Even when we don't feel like it, we're called to teach the gospel. In fact, some of the hardest times and some of the times when the gospel is so effective is when we're really not feeling like it because then we know it's all of Christ and none of us. Some of us are going through dire circumstances. Some of us have terrible decisions we have to make. Some of us are doing some things that we really don't want to be doing, really placed in positions that are terrible. We can't do this on our own. We have to rely on our Jesus Christ. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us in these times. And these are the times when we need to share the gospel. These are the times when we have to stand up for righteousness and declare God's word. We have to be ready to speak. And we have to be obedient to the call, even when we don't feel like it. Because we represent Christ, and he has commissioned us. He has commissioned us with a message of hope for the world. Another characteristic I see here is dependable. These men could be counted on to do what they were called to do. They were dependable. An ambassador knows the effectiveness is solely based on the power of God, and that effectiveness requires him to be dependable. In other words, I'm going to show up and I'm going to step out in faith. You can count on me, God, and I'm going to do this. And he knows that God will honor that and do what God, he has asked God to do. We see that in Isaiah 6. When the prophet stands before the Lord and says, here am I, Lord, send me. The Lord said, okay, and he sent him. And look at the horrible things that Isaiah had to say to the people of Israel. I mean, you go through Isaiah and you go through these chapters, and it's woe this and woe that and get reconciled to God and all these things he has to say. No wonder we read later where they wanted to saw him in half, where they wanted to stone him in every corner, where they wanted to boil him in oil. No wonder we read those kind of things because the message that he was preaching was not what they wanted to hear. I mean, let's face it. We all want to be told that we're okay. We all want to be told that everything's wonderful and everything's peachy and everything's great. We all want to feel good. But sometimes the gospel message doesn't tell that. Sometimes the gospel message tells us that we have to deal with our sin that is in front of us, cast it away, and come to Jesus. But then the joy that remains, the joy that comes in the morning from that healing is incredible. The joy that comes The peace that passes all understanding. The next characteristic I see can be found in verse 26. The captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they be stoned. In this verse, we see the characteristic of a good conduct and patience. The ambassador of Christ acts with grace. He acts with kindness. He acts with good manners. He will not dishonor Christ with his conduct. This is significant. The apostles did not appeal to popular opinion when they were arrested. And now remember, they're in the middle of the temple. All these people who are gathered around that they're preaching to probably could have been on their side because the lame man was just healed. They saw the miracle of the lame man. The apostles, when they came to be arrested, could have yelled, you're going to let them take us? And started a riot. But they didn't. They went peacefully. They wanted to show the love of Christ by having good conduct. There was a carnal solution to their problem, but they didn't use it. It's interesting to me that this very St. Peter, who was involved in this, writes this in his first epistle in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Paul goes on to say to the Philippian church, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Jesus himself said, let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, in Matthew 5. So conduct is important. Our conduct speaks volumes to people. If you're out there and your conduct isn't great, you're going to hear this, and you call yourself a Christian? Our conduct speaks volumes, volumes. The ambassador of Christ is also patient and doesn't quarrel, but will listen in order to understand. Then with gentleness, seek to respectfully engage his adversaries. The ambassador of Christ is patient. It's patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience, long-suffering, is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul, again, writing to his son Timothy in 1 Timothy this time, in chapter 6, verse 11, he said, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. We're to pursue those things. Those things are to be evident in our lives as we are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We have to remember for whom we serve. I'll never forget when we were down in New Orleans. We were down in New Orleans and we were getting ready to minister to the people who were still left after the horrible hurricane Katrina. Katrina and we were going to walk through the streets. And many, many people had come back to nothing. There was nothing left. But we were down there as representatives, not only of Jesus Christ, but the Billy Graham crusade. So before we went out, they had this great big meeting, great big meeting. And the person who was in charge said, I want you to remember one thing. You are ambassadors, not only of Jesus Christ, but you are ambassadors of the Billy Graham Evangelical Association. And with that carries a huge responsibility. Don't go out there and make fools of yourself. Don't go out there and laugh and joke and be cruel and heartless. Remember who you serve. That was important to us. That was important that when we walked those streets, we would have empathy for these people who had lost everything and who were, were, where do we go from now? We knew we still had the answer, Jesus Christ. But it was important. It was important we acted in patience and gentleness. Another good characteristic of an ambassador is effectiveness. An ambassador of Christ is effective at spreading the message that he was given. We see this because the apostles never waver from the message. Their message hasn't changed since the first time Peter spoke back in the beginning of the book of Acts. But we see that the apostles are arrested again and they're back in front of the council. In verses 27 and 28 it says, and when they had brought them in, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Remember I said when we went over this passage that this would come back to get them? This would be what they would use to persecute them? They warned them, don't teach in that name. And the apostles continued. But what I see here is a beautiful, wonderful indictment. What a wonderful indictment. It says you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What doctrine is that? The doctrine says that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the risen Savior who will save us from our sins. He's the resurrected Christ, the Son of the living God. In Matthew 4, 21, in Matthew 1, 21, Joseph is told by the angel what to name his unborn child. And he said, and she, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So, this name, this powerful name of Jesus Christ, the one that we're told not to preach in anymore, not to even say, they said, You don't understand. This is our doctrine. The apostles are accused of filling Jerusalem with this doctrine. They did their job very well, they were extremely effective. You know what? I wish we would get that indictment. I wish that people would say, Oh, you know what? That church in Cape May, all they do is preach Jesus, all they do is want us to be saved. Oh. What a glorious day that would be if we got that indictment, if they held that against us, if they accused us of spreading the gospel, of being ones who spoke about Jesus. Oh, man, that would be fantastic. I would love that. I would just really like that, to think that we could reach southern Cape May County, to think that we could reach north Cape May, Cape May, Wildwood, these areas for Christ. Oh, that would be wonderful. What an indictment. Wouldn't it be great if somebody said, at church, all they do is preach Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, that's what we do. And we love every minute of it. Thank you a lot. That would be great. Christ is alive, and he wants to save us from our sins. This accusation that the high priest is making is a wonderful testimony about the effectiveness of the message that the apostles preach. The high priest declares himself that, he says that they filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. Then he says, I know that you want to bring this blood on me. You want to bring this blood on the Jews. You want to blame us for the blood of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. He said, this man's. By calling Jesus the man... This Jewish leader is not even saying his name because he knows the power behind the name. He won't even say it. He said, this man. You are a sure hope.
0: You've been listening to Pastor Dave on Assure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609 609- Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.